We are in Acts chapter 9 today. I'm really excited to share from this passage. This is one of the more famous passages in Scripture. We're going to be looking at the, the, the very um, incredible conversion of St. Paul. So if you've got a Bible or a, something, a device that you want to turn to Acts chapter 9, we'll be there in just a couple of minutes. Um, some of you may remember I was here three weeks ago. And I got to preach a sermon, um, and I, dis- I think it was three or four weeks ago, and I discussed the question that Jesus asked in John chapter 18, which is, uh, is that your own idea, or have others talked to you about me? And in that sermon, we discussed the ways that our conception of who Jesus is has been warped and conditioned by the culture around us. And um, so if you weren't here for that, I'd love to ch- you to check that out on the podcast, because what we're going to talk about today um, kind of feeds off of that discussion uh, about, we, we said that. The, the, the point of that message was that we need to pursue the authentic Jesus found in Scripture and not the Jesus that we've been conditioned to believe in or understand from the society around us. So today we're going to continue to explore those ideas by looking at Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. We're going to see that when we miss Jesus, we are at risk of several things. And this is what this story is going to tell us today. We're at risk of several things when we miss Jesus. First, um, we are at risk of religious extremism. And that's a thing even here in East Tennessee. We're also at risk of a hatred of the church. We're at risk of personal emptiness. And those are three things we're going to talk about. Sounds great, right? That's why we have to have baptism afterwards to to hopefully remedy all the darkness of the things we're going to be discussing. So, yeah, we're going to talk about religious extremism, hatred of the church, and personal emptiness. All of these things that Paul, uh, who was formerly known as Saul, experienced prior to this incredible encounter with Jesus. He was surprised on the road to Damascus, which we'll see in Scripture for in just a minute. Um, but, you know, surprises, some people just love to be surprised and some people hate it. Like, you may be the kind of person who you just always wanted somebody to throw a surprise party for you. Maybe you hate that. My wife hates surprises. Uh, I like surprises. Um, but being surprised is fun. It's really fun to scare people. Like, that kind of surprise is a really fun thing. And I saw an awesome uh, uh, example of somebody being surprised on an airplane a few weeks ago. Um I took my daughter Ellie to Washington, D.C. for her ninth birthday. It was awesome, and we've been planning it for a while. And instead of getting gifts and all that, we took her on a trip. We had some sky miles, so it worked out. And I've been on a bunch of planes, and you see the best and the worst in humanity on airplanes, right? That's why you see, like, little kids just seem to lose their minds more than normal on airplanes. You see people being absolute jerks on airplanes. You see all the, you know, the, the, the different things of humanity come out to their fullest force on airplanes. But I saw the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life uh, on an airplane there a couple of weeks ago. Here's the scene. We got stuck in Atlanta on our way back from D.C. because we had to fly down to Atlanta up to D.C. and then we were coming back, same route. We're stuck on a plane in Atlanta in the runway and uh, uh, they had some kind of problem with the, the airplane. And so we were literally sitting on the runway for two hours. And so it was if you've ever been in that situation, it's the worst. And, of course, everybody's whining and griping and all this stuff. Well, there are two ladies, they're probably like in their late 40s, early 50s, something like that, that were sitting about three rows in front of Ellie and I. Except one lady, they, they evidently couldn't sit together. Their tickets weren't together for whatever reason. And so one lady was sitting in one row, and her friend was sitting in front of her, both in the middle seats. And... <laughs> 
they were, we were on there for like two hours, and you could tell that the lady on the back row needed to go to the restroom. And so she tapped her friend, and I was watching this whole thing unfold. My daughter was watching a video, and she tapped her friend, and she said, I need to get out. But then she looked, and she says, I can't get out. There was this older gentleman, probably in his 80s, who was just dead to the world, right? He was, he was snoring. He was up like this, uh, you know. And so she said, can you help me get out? And I was just watching the whole thing. Her friend gets out gets her hand over and tries to help her friend get out and climb over this gentleman. And she proceeds to do so. And they're both snickering the whole time and, you know, having a good time of it. Her, her friend's got her by the hand. And if you can picture this guy sitting here asleep, the lady sitting here, she stands up. She takes one step over one of his legs. And they're both going, <laughs> and all of us behind them are going, <laughs> She starts to take another step, and the guy goes, like this, right in this region. And she goes, like this. And, and the whole airplane loses their minds. It was the greatest thing ever. This was a very distinguished uh, gentleman, so you could tell he was horrified. And he got out, and he, he bowed to the lady and gave her one of these. And you could tell it was the best day of his life. Surprises are awesome. Like, that's one of the great things about being human, except when it doesn't go your way. Now, it went the right way for this gentleman, but it, did, it went just a crazy way for this. Sorry if that's inappropriate, Lindsay. Lindsay. This might be the last time I get this, the, the mic. Um, what was I saying? Uh, Paul's, Paul's surprise was just completely life-changing. And those kinds of surprises are the, are the best. Look what it says here, Acts chapter 9. Some of you have heard this many times, but I hope that It'll speak to us maybe in a new and fresh way this morning. So here's Paul's surprise. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That's what they used to call Christianity back then. Any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So let's just pray that the Lord would teach us in the next few minutes. Father, as we unpack this passage and as we talk about what it might mean for our lives and for this church, I pray that you would be our teacher, that you would be our guide, and that we would follow and act accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, many of you know Saul, uh, who became Paul's backstory. This guy was a very very religious individual. Later in his life, if you look at the end of the book of Acts, in, in chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, he's actually um, being tried by King Agrippa. That's a whole other story. But he actually gives an account of what was happening in this during this time in his life. And here's what he said. He said to King Agrippa, hey, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. 
I mean, just the chapter before chapter 9, what we, what we read today um, and his conversion on the road to Damascus, just one chapter before is the famous account of, of the first martyr who was Stephen, who was stoned to death by a mob. And guess who was overseeing the mob and who was happily holding their coats? It was Saul who was to become Paul. Um, and that was the life that he was in. He was an um, a, a extremist. He was a fanatic. Um, in fact, you could compare Paul to like a terrorist. He, what's different between Paul and ISIS? Because literally, he is going to foreign lands to, to put down people that didn't agree with his understanding of Judaism. He was an extremist. Um, he was going to Damascus. This is the road to Damascus. You know what? Damascus is the capital of Syria, where ISIS is hanging out today, right? Um, and so Paul is very much a religious extremist. He could even be defined as a form of an international terrorist. I don't think it's too far-fetched to, to say that. And you see, the thing about Paul, he was desperately, here's what we can't miss because you think he's an awful person, but here's the reality. He was desperately pursuing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was crazy about God, or at least what he understood about God. His zealousness for this Yahweh knew no bounds, and yet he blew it. He completely blew it. He, it it's a terrible thing to think that you're doing the right thing, right, only to discover that you're making a fool of yourself. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a lot, and it happened to Paul or Saul in this particular circumstance. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a concert that like half of you guys were at. It was the Mandolin Orange concert. They're a great band, and um, they sing this song called Wildfire, and uh, it's probably their best-known song. And the whole point of the song is it's, it's kind of looking back at the history of racism in our country, and it focuses on a couple of characters, and it's a really great song. You ought to check it out. But um, the whole thing is how the, the, the tagline of the song is it could have been different, it could have been easy, and basically how one person's decision could have changed the course of racial tendencies, racist tendencies in our country. And so it's really interesting. And, and most of the people at the concert that particular night knew what the song was about, and um, but not one individual. So they're singing this song, and one of the lines of the song, the guy is talking about how he grew up in the South, and where he grew up hearing a bunch of people saying in the South, uh, something like, "We're going to rise again." That's the, and it's a very like powerful line of the song. And one joker right in front of me goes, "Yeah!" Now this is in the Bijou Theater, and it's like you can hear a pin drop. And this one guy who obviously didn't know what the song was about was like, "Yeah!" And everybody was like horrified. And then the next line of the song, the lead singer says, but it could have been different. And he looks straight at this guy. Now, this guy was literally sitting right in front of me. So I thought everybody thought I was the one that yelled out. I was mortified. But fortunately, I think most people knew it was him. He still didn't get it. And as soon as the guy said, it could have been different, and he looked at that guy and said it, it was a powerful moment. And then the whole crowd went, yeah. And this guy was looking around like, what? I thought that's what we say here in the South, you know, just completely oblivious to this monumental blunder he had made. And it was a pretty cool moment, I, hate, uh, I have to say. But I've been that guy before, that guy who thinks that they're in the know of a situation, that thinks that they're going along with what's okay, that thinks that they are making a name for themselves even, only to find out that we were completely blowing it, completely doing things the wrong way. And, and can you imagine the horror in Saul's face when he was encountered by the very person that he thought it was his life's mission to put down. 
this guy, Jesus, who was the fulfillment of all the things that Saul had spent his life studying and observing. Paul missed the point of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he did it in a couple of ways. First, he missed what all of the scriptures that he knew so well, even to the point of memorizing them. This was a Pharisee, guys. He would have been required to memorize huge chunks, if not all, of the Old Testament, certainly of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He would have known it backwards and forwards, and yet all the scripture that he knew so well, he missed the point of it. The point was Jesus. And on the road to Damascus, that became clear to him. And so a, a quick point for us today, we can know the Bible backwards and forwards. We can be rule followers. We can be zealous for God. We can be zealous for God at our workplaces, at our schools. But if we miss Jesus while working out our religion, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. You know, I, I was kind of giving this guy the, that concert a hard time, but just recently I did something really dumb as well, and I wasn't even aware of it. I was, once again, uh, at a layover in Miami. We're going down to Haiti. We got, uh, Kevin, that was the same trip that Kevin was on with me, and um, and uh, I, I was going to do some studying and stuff, but I got a little restless, and I'd always, I'd been to Miami a few times, but I'd always wanted to go to like the Little Havana area, and I, I heard it was a pretty cool area, and so I, I went off and just walked around a little bit, and I came across a homeless guy. And, you know, he looked kind of rough around the edges, but he, you know, at first he was asking me for money. And I said, no, man, but I'd love for you to just show me the area. You want to walk with me? And he was like, yeah, I'll walk with you. And so I ended up like for two hours walking around Miami with this homeless guy. And I had my aviator sunglasses. People make fun of me all the time, but I like them. I don't care. Had my aviator sunglasses on and we were nearing the end of our walk. And this guy says, boy, you better be glad that you were with me today. And I said, why is that? And he said, man, with those sunglasses, you look like a cop. And we went through some really bad areas, but you were with me, so it was okay. And I was like, oh, geez, thanks, man, you know. We, can, you know, we think that we know what we're doing. We think we understand our surroundings and what's going on. But, again, time and time again, we, we miss it, just like I missed it that day, just like that guy in the concert missed it. And, and, and Saul just missed the point of it all. The second thing um, that he missed is he missed the church and the point of the church. And I want to spend a, a couple of minutes talking about this because it's really important. When Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus, did you notice what he said? He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you putting down my church? Why are you hurting my followers? No, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because the church and is his body, right? We've heard this terminology before, but it's made really clear when, when Jesus asked this specific question, why are you persecuting me? And I want to emphasize the fact that Scripture repeatedly, repeatedly confirms the value of the church to Jesus. Whether we like it or not, it says that the church is his body. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet today, across the United States, thousands upon thousands of people are leaving the church to pursue this, like, personal religion where they won't, honestly, I think where they won't have to get their hands dirty. I mean, newsflash, church is messy. I mean, I've been in it a long time. I'm a preacher's kid. I've seen good, bad, and ugly, and I've seen a lot of the ugly. Um, Church is messy. It contains people. It's been said that church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. What do we expect when we come to church? And if I'm honest, church is one of my favorite things in the world, and it's also one of my least favorite things in the world. Can I just be real? But that doesn't take away the fact that it's Christ's bride. 
It's God's plan to bring renewal to the, to the earth. I mean, Scripture states it very clearly. And I don't get to change what Scripture says about it because of my personal beefs with the church. I, I just don't get that. If I'm, a, if I'm a follower of Jesus, a follower of Scripture, that's not an option for me. I've just come to find that. And we've all seen, um, I want to give kind of a weird example here, but especially in light of that last story I, I told, or a couple of stories back. But um, you ever notice when uh, it's really an awkward time in a room when somebody of the opposite sex is checking out somebody else from the opposite sex below the neck? That's an awkward thing. And, you know, uh, we've all seen somebody doing that, or maybe we've been caught doing that before. But I want to just make this comparison, that that's what it's like when we view the church like somebody of the opposite sex might leer at somebody else of the opposite sex. Um, it's like staring at all the things that we shouldn't be staring at instead of looking the church right in the eyes. And in the eyes is the head, the, the, the eyes are on the head of the church. The head of the church, the Bible says, is Jesus. And here's the point. When we take our eyes below the neckline of the church, then we're going to see all the things that we have no business judging or looking at or staring at because it will get us off track. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, on the head, then the body will function correctly and it will be as it should be. Here's what I'm trying to say. I think what's happened in the United States and here in the Southeast is we've become so jaded and turned off because of all the things that we've seen in church that are messy. And there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of leaders that are messed up. There are leaders in our church that have their problems. You didn't come to church today and find the perfect one, by the way. We got our warts. But when we take our eyes off of the head of the church, Jesus, then we are going to get confused. Church is going to become something that it was not meant to be. But if our eyes are focused on Jesus, we might just get somewhere. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And we don't get to question Scripture on that as to what Scripture has to say about it because it says those things very clearly. Jesus loves his bride. We are his body. After Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he, he begins to... Uh, the process of becoming the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. And he's zealous for the gospel of Jesus. He's, he's just as zealous for the gospel of Jesus as he was for destroying the church before. And you can read all about that in the, books of, in the book of Acts and, and, and hear him talk about it in his letters. But he had to come to two very harsh realities that, first of all, he had completely missed the point of Scripture, which was Jesus, and that he had missed the point of what the church was. The very thing that he was trying to put down was the thing that Jesus wanted him to spend his life serving, growing, planting churches. Um, it's ironic, isn't it? Maybe you're here today and you've been trying to work out your religion by taking all of the, the right steps along the way. Maybe you were like Saul became Paul in that, that you've been living out this Christianity, but perhaps have missed the Christ in Christianity along the way. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you can resonate with Paul. And I want you to listen to the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. Listen to what he said about his journey. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For Christ's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know, I hope this is our prayer today, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So maybe you would say you're here today and, and you've done the church thing for a while, but you just feel a little bit empty. Maybe maybe you've forgotten or lost track of the source of it all, Jesus. And, and, and Paul was doing everything that he knew to be a good person, and he missed it. He missed the point of it all. Maybe that's not necessarily your story, though. Maybe maybe when I was talking about the church a few minutes ago, you can really re resonate with that. Maybe you're honestly here today because, like, a spouse or significant other dragged you here or your parent dragged you here or whatever. Maybe you're just this, this close to giving up on church. You're tired of it. You've been hurt too many times. Good grief. Get in line. All right? Um, and maybe that's your story today. And um, the answer... I would just say, yeah, it sounds really simplistic, but I really believe the answer might just be to get your eyes off of the body for a few minutes and get your eyes on the head. Focus on the head. Focus on Jesus because, look, the church is going to continue to struggle, but it, there's not a plan B in Scripture. The church is God's plan to bring about renewal on planet Earth, to bring about salvation on planet Earth. He uses the church, warts and all. Or maybe neither of those things really resonate with you. Um, maybe like Paul, you would say that you feel like the worst kind of person, the chief of sinners, as Paul would put it. Paul was killing Christians for crying out loud, right? And maybe you have not necessarily that bad, but, but maybe you're caught up in some gnarly sin that's separating you from connecting to Jesus. Maybe that's your story today. And, and just like Paul had to be radically woken up on the road to Damascus, maybe today you would say, man, I'm so, like, I'm just struggling so much. I don't think there's anything that can bring me out of where I'm at. But I want to tell you, no sin is too bad. No thing you've done is too bad. And God might want to meet some of us today. It's a great day for it. We can baptize you after. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard said something really cool in this, talking about, um, about righteousness that we don't deserve and how God works. And he said this, God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure, but he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. And that was Paul's story. This guy who was the worst of the worst, right? He was trying to crush the church, and he radically saved him on the road to Damascus that day, and he can do that for any of us. Uh, I mean, we, many of you have heard the, this story, but there was a slave ship captain a couple hundred years ago or so who 
talk about the worst of the worst. This guy spent his life dragging people from the coasts of Africa over to the New World and as slaves and oversaw horrible things that happened to them along the way, the, 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 the rape and beating of so many individuals on those ships that took place. Um, and we can't even understand how bad the situation and, the, and, the, and, and what it was like on those ships. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people didn't make it. They died. And um, there was an individual who oversaw all that, and he got, he had this radical encounter with Jesus, much like Saul did on the road to Damascus that day. And he went on to influence people such as Wil William Wil Wilberforce, who many of you have heard of, who helped put down the slave trade. This very guy who was a slave ship captain played a hugely influential role in putting down the slave trade. His name was John Newton. Many of you guys have heard of this guy. If you haven't, surely you've heard the most famous song that he wrote, which was Amazing Grace. And the words of that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If anybody could say that, it was John Newton, the slave ship captain. And you might sit in here today and you say, gosh, I just, I don't know if he could save me. I've done too much. I'm too dirty. I've got this thing in my life. If you only knew, if the person sitting beside me only knew, they would not be sitting beside me. And I would say, look at Saul who became Paul. Look at John Newton. And there's thousands more stories like them, including mine, including many people in the room. We all need a road to Damascus experience. And maybe you've never had one before. But I'll tell you guys, today is a wonderful day for that. We'll bat, like, we'll literally, you can come talk to Lindsay or myself or one of the leaders. We will literally talk to you about getting baptized here in a few minutes. But if you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, look, that's on the table, and we would love to talk with you about that. I'm going to ask the band to come on up, and as we're finishing up here, I'm just going to say a couple more quick things, and I'll sit down. Um, so, yeah, just to kind of uh, cover over all the things we talked about very quickly. Maybe today you find yourself doing all the religious stuff but feeling empty. Maybe Jesus would jar you awake today and say, hey, quit looking at all this other stuff and just look at me for a moment. Or maybe today you're bitter against the church. Maybe that's your story. Um, maybe you're turned off by it. Maybe you were dragged here once again by somebody and you don't really want to be here. Or maybe you're this close to leaving the church. And, and I would say that Jesus loves the church whether we like it or not warts and all, and we are called to serve and love the church as well, and I just want to challenge some of you in the room that are just this close, and you have some bitterness in your heart toward the church. Trust me, I understand. Good grief, I get it, but the reality is Jesus loves his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what scripture says, and so I would just ask you today maybe to go to the Lord and, and, and see if there's some bitterness in your heart toward the church, and see if the Lord might want to talk with you about that, or finally, maybe you're here today, and and you would say that you don't fall into any, either of those categories. All you know is that you're far from God and you can't find a way out of the hole you're in. Um, know that today Jesus is calling you. Today could be your road to Damascus experience. We're going to have some people here in just a second back in the back that would love to pray with you um, about any of these things. You know, maybe you just want to be really transparent and say, hey, I need prayer because I do have bitterness in my heart toward the church. Or maybe you say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. We'll have people in the back. I'll also be back there. Would love to talk with you about any of those things at all. Um, we're going to go into just a time of quiet reflection and, and, and ponder any of these things that the Lord might want to talk to us about. We'll also, I think, have some scripture up on the screen behind me here. Um, and yeah, come get prayer and all that stuff, or, or just sit there and do business with the Lord, however he might be leading you to do so. Father, thank you for this very, very special day. 
a day when we're going to celebrate some people that have chosen to put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that others would be um, would step into that today too. If there's someone in the room right now, Father, that does not know you, Holy Spirit, would you just gently, with your kind heart that you that you tend to work with, um, would you just gently nudge some people toward whatever decision or thing uh, that they need to make today, whether that's to put their faith and trust in you for the first time, whether it's to lay down some bitterness that they may have for the church, whatever the case may be. Um, so Holy Spirit, would you just come and have your way in the next few minutes and do what only you can do.